God is at work among us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're uh, working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. The series is called Church Under Construction, uh, meaning God is at work in our church, in your heart, in my heart, and um, he is building us up as disciples of Jesus Christ. I read a story a few weeks ago that I just had to share with you. It perfectly ties into the message this morning. Um, <laughs> the article headline reads this. Police rescue couple with baby who couldn't find way out of corn maze. Getting lost in a corn maze is supposed to be fun, but it turned into a nightmare for a Massachusetts couple who got so turned around that they had to be rescued by the police. It all started late Monday afternoon when the couple entered a corn maze at Connors Farm in Massachusetts, about 23 miles north of Boston. After about an hour in the maze, darkness began to fall. The couple, who were there with their three-week-old baby, could not find a way out. As the mosquitoes started to descend, they placed a desperate call to 911 asking to be rescued. The woman said, quote, I don't know what made us do this. It was daytime when we came in. We thought if we came in, someone would come in and find us. We can hear the police on the way. Oh my goodness, the mosquitoes are eating us alive. I've never taken my daughter out before. This is the first time. Never again. <laughs> then she said, this is embarrassing. Awfully embarrassing, right? To be stuck in the middle of a corn maze and to have to call 911 to find your way out. Well, hey... One of the ways the Bible describes us, when God looks down and sees us, what does he see? One of the ways he describes us is lost. And what a perfect illustration, this couple stuck in the middle, can't find their way out. You know what? That's us. We can't find our way to God. We are lost. And if he doesn't come in to get us, we will be lost forever. And this morning, the message is about uh, uniquely the third person of the Trinity, God's Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit has been active in coming in to find us and helping us to find our way to God. Uh, if God had not done anything, we would never have been found. And you'll see this morning how God the Spirit was heavily involved in God's plan to reach the lost, to reach humanity, to reach you. And what you'll see this morning is the Spirit is hard at work in the world around you and in you and he's trying to help us find God, he's trying to help us know God, and he's trying to help us follow God on a daily basis. Maybe you feel like you don't know much about the Holy Spirit. Like if you took that quiz, you would get an F minus or worse. You wouldn't even know any of the answers. Uh, well, this morning we'll see five things that the Holy Spirit does to help us know God. Let's pray and then we'll get into the, the Bible together. Father above, we thank you, Lord, that you didn't just save us, but you have sent your Holy Spirit so that we could know you personally. And uh, this morning, my prayer is that you would clearly show us the role that the Holy Spirit has played in teaching us about you, acquainting us with you, and what he does on a daily basis. And Lord, my prayer is that through 1 Corinthians, you would continue to build your church up, uh, Lord, adding new additions onto our faith each week. And we long, Lord, for you to grow us as disciples. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we are. Are you there? You got your bulletin. There's notes in the bulletin, and I'd love for you to be taking notes as well. So 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, it says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, 
did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We see here that the Holy Spirit uses the basic truth about Jesus Christ to save us. So you can jot this down. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does is called salvation. Okay, salvation. And that basically means this. I can be saved by faith in Christ. So jot that down. The background here is Paul is thinking back to when he first rolled into Corinth. And he had just left Athens. Um, And uh, Athens, let's just say that Athens was filled with all of the smarty pants of the day. That's my technical term. We'll call them the smarty. I mean, they all got perfect scores on their ACT, all of them. Uh, And they could blow you away in a game of Trivial Pursuit, okay? He left Athens, came to Corinth, and if there was ever a time where he could be tempted to flaunt himself, to show off his Old Testament knowledge, to blow your mind with some theological words that have 18 syllables, uh, he could have done it. On the contrary, he says when he showed up to Corinth, He wasn't at all about trying to attract a following to himself. He didn't use what the Bible calls lofty, uh, or in other translations, it translates it superior. Um, It's from the Greek word that means to rise above, to be superior in authority, excellence, or intelligence. Uh, He didn't aim to perform or to attract a personal following to himself but rather he directed all attention on to the person of Jesus Christ. Let's just say this. He didn't roll up to Corinth driving in one of these. Check this out. He didn't show up with celebrity status on his tour bus. Like, hey, I'm touring the known world, and uh, boy, do I have a show for you. He He didn't go with that. When I saw that bus, I thought, what would it be like to be a celebrity? You know, to be able to, to... I got curious, and so I got creative, which is dangerous. So check this out. This is fun. What if, what if that was our mentality around here? What if it was like, welcome to the big show. You've got Ryan. You've got Mark. Brandon's up there. You didn't see him? Did you find him? He's on the front. He's up there. <laughs> well, the point is we, we're not after that. We're not after like, welcome to the big, come hear me. Come see Mark. Come, like as if we're an attraction. Uh, as if like we're some sort of spectacle or that you can come and you can be like, that's not what it's about. And uh, for Paul, it could have been about that. He could have been like, check out my credentials, look where I was trained, look who I studied under, look at my degrees, and so listen to me. And, uh, and, uh, and look up to me. He could have done that, but he didn't. Um, he directed attention to the power of the gospel. And he gives the Holy Spirit the credit for saving people. Uh, He says here in verse 2, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing. This isn't a commentary on His preaching. It's not that He only always preached the gospel. Okay? This is a commentary on His evangelism. When He got to a new place, when He got an audience, He ran straight to the cross. He didn't complicate it with Greek wisdom. He didn't try. He, He went straight to the cross and told them the basic truth about Jesus Christ, and people got saved. The person of Jesus Christ was his message. He wanted others to know Christ personally. 
And the basic truth of Jesus is this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who came into the world to save sinners. That's the basic truth of Christ. And then he says, Christ crucified. So the world through the Son of God on the cross. And while Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him fully. He was thrown into a tomb, and miraculously on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father, offering the free gift of salvation to anyone who puts their faith in him. That's it. It's very simple. maybe, Maybe you think to yourself, oh boy, this whole God thing and this Bible thing, I mean, I've got to like take so many classes before I can even think that I might be able to know God. Uh-uh. That's not the truth. The truth is so simple. It's the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, you are saved and born again, and you know God personally. That's it. Too many people think they have to kind of, you know, pick themselves up and fix their whole life and, and uh, learn a whole lot about the Bible before God would ever welcome them into his presence. And that's just not true. That's a lie. It begins with the basic truth about Jesus Christ who died for you. And, and the Bible says that this is proof. This is a, a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. No doubt when people got saved in Corinth, there was evidence of salvation. Miracles were happening. No doubt some of the sign gifts were active. But all of that is just evidence that lives were being saved. That was just proof that something happened in the heart. And, and all that is just an aftershock of what first quaked in your heart when you got saved. Okay, so the real miracle is people getting saved from hell. That's the power of, of God. Titus 3, 5 to 6, we're going to put that up on the screen. Titus 3, 5 to 6 says this. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Listen, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you know when you were born again, the Holy Spirit did that? You were born of the Spirit. He gave you life you didn't get at birth. He gave you a second birthday. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who saved you through the message of Jesus Christ who died for you because of the grace of God the Father. You see the Trinity active here, but the truth is the first thing the Spirit does is salvation. The Holy Spirit, through the basic gospel, saves sinners. That's a great truth. There's a second thing the Spirit does. You can jot this down. Revelation. Uh, I can know who God is and what he's done. Write that down. I can know who God is and what he's done. The Holy Spirit reveals the secret things of God. Look at verse 6. It says in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, And who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Notice a few things here. Paul switches from I to we. Uh, We. And he's talking about 
the truth that they're teaching and declaring, the, the teachers and the apostles. And he says, we, to the mature, do declare a message of wisdom. Now, the, the word mature, sometimes people get this wrong, and they think, oh, well, that must be the smart Christians. The smart Christians get the harder sermons, right? But that's not what it means. Um, the word mature here means believers. Um, because the mature and those who accept the wisdom of God are set at contrast to the foolish and those who reject the wisdom of God. So you've got to check the context to figure this out. In fact, those who are mature are set against those who are doomed to pass away here. There's two groups. Those who are mature and who are accepting the wisdom of God and those who are doomed to pass away. All right, so do you get that he's talking about believers here? Just say it back to me. He's talking about believers. He's talking about believers. All right. Among the mature, the believers, we do impart a wisdom. That's the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the wisdom of God, so they get it, although it's not a wisdom of the age or of the rulers of this age. And so these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is within him? Uh, you, can't, you can't read somebody else's mind unless you have an iPhone 4. There is an app for that. I'm not even kidding. Mike, I searched for it this week because I just wanted to be sure. And lo and behold, the Bible's wrong because there's an app now that can read your I could read your mind right now if I wanted to. I tried this out at Starbucks with Jen Vanderveen. Where's Jen? Where's Jen Vanderveen? Where's she at? Jen, where are you at? She might be doing worship with the kids' ministry, okay? I held this phone up to her and it told her to think of a number. And then it asked her all these questions about her number. And then at the end of five questions, it told her her number and she screamed. She said, how did you do that? You know Jen, right? She, we love her. She's got so much energy. How did you do that? And then we did it again, and it read her mind again. Not bad, huh? So if you have an iPhone 4, you can read minds. But everyone else, you can't read minds. No, it is like a mathematical trick, okay? So it doesn't really read your mind. The point here is you, you can't read somebody else's mind. You can't do it. And uh, if you can't read somebody else's mind, go ahead and try to read God's mind. Go ahead and just try to think about what God is thinking. You can't, but the Holy Spirit can. We see the deity of the Holy Spirit here in that he searches the full depths of the mind of God. He's omniscient. All knowledge of, the, of, of God is available to him. He's, he's God the Spirit. And what does he do with it? He comes and he makes it known to you. I've got some things for you. There you go. And knowing these things makes you know the very thoughts of God. Do you get that? That's called revelation. There's two forms of revelation in the Bible. There's general revelation, which is all creation declares the glories of God. You know there's a God when you see beauty in nature. Uh, check out this picture. This picture is from Silver Birch Ranch, where uh, we've got a, our first ever harvest family vacation scheduled for next summer. At the uh, last week in July, first week in August. You should go. There's info on our website. But this picture is taken... Um, right there is the sun's coming up at Silver Birch. And, and when you experience something so beautiful, uh, when you go to the Rockies or um, even when you just get away from your busy life and walk through the fall woods as the leaves are coming down, um, there's, there's something that transcends the senses and, and you want to praise something. You want to give glory and credit. And you know there's a God. There must be a God. Hey, God did this. And that's a transcendent reality. Uh, God has set eternity in your heart. You are aware that there's something much more than this earth right here. 
Uh, and general revelation teaches you that there's a God and everyone gets that message. But here's the thing. Special revelation is when God teaches you things about himself and about his plan that you could not gain through the senses. That's why it says here, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. So these are realities that you cannot grasp. It's called a hidden wisdom of God. Um, now, now this isn't like bonus truths. It's not like there's books in the Bible that you didn't get. They're secret, and guess what? I'm going to give them to you. No, no, no. The, the cross, the gospel, is called the secret and hidden wisdom of God. And here in the New Testament, it's unveiled. It's no longer secret. It's no longer hidden. Okay, you get that? It's, it's the gospel that we're talking about. But it says that God had planned this message from before the ages. Before time began, he was getting Christ ready to redeem a people for himself to bring them to heaven. That was his plan from the beginning. He didn't fully unveil it until the New Testament times through the apostles. And it says that he, from before the ages began, meant it for our glory. Do you know what that means? The future tense of your salvation is you glorified in God's presence forever. And guess what? He's been planning that moment from before time. Wow. Wow. This is revelation. This is the Spirit revealing the truths of God to us And therefore, you don't get them from me. My brain didn't crank these things out. I guess what I thought up in a corner booth at Portillo's and wrote on a napkin. Guess what I figured out for you. No, these are traced back to the very foundations of the world. And the Holy Spirit revealed them to us. Makes our truth amazing, divine, and spiritual. Revelation, I can know who God is. I can know what he's done. The Holy Spirit convicts us regarding sin, convinces us of the righteousness of Christ, teaches us that judgment is coming, and only the Spirit can reveal these truths to us. Well, check out verse 12. There's a third thing the Spirit does. Third thing the Spirit does in verse 12. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, so jot this down. This is the doctrine called the indwelling. Write this down. I can know God's presence. God the Spirit enables us to obey the truth because he is always within those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit dwells inside us. I caught another news story this week that I, I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it. Uh, <laughs> 16-foot python found in Everglades had eaten a deer. You want to see the picture? Because you don't believe it, do you? Check out the picture. 16-foot python ate, swallowed a deer. I can't even show you the next picture. I'm not going to, but let's just say they prove it. Okay, there's a deer in there, and the python ate it. There's a a what inside that python? There's a whole deer. That's bizarre, isn't it? That's like so, oh, have you ever heard anything like that before? Okay, but I'm, I'm going to tell you something that's more bizarre. More bizarre than finding a deer inside a python is this. Finding a god inside a human being. That's more bizarre. That's, uh, that's ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times more bizarre. Do you understand? Christians believe some crazy sounding stuff. I'm just going to say it. And I think one of the most crazy sounding things we believe is this. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God himself comes to dwell within us. That's a truth. We believe that. He didn't do that in the Old Testament. After Christ atoned for all of our sin, we could be made holy 
Therefore, a holy God could take up habitation within us. Okay, you think your unchristian friends think you're weird now? Okay, go to one of them this week and be like, I learned in church this weekend that a God lives inside me, but not in you. Do you want to come to church with me this week? I mean, really, how crazy sounding is that? How crazy sounding is that? That God, the Spirit, would dwell inside us. And what's he doing in there? That's kind of scary. What's God doing within us? Um, Well, for the average believer, uh, God the Spirit is inside of you to reaffirm with you that you are a child of God, to encourage you on your walk uh, with Christ. And, And he makes you God's possession. He seals you and proves that you will uh, spend eternity in God's presence. There are some misconceptions here about the indwelling of deity. Uh, These are going around circles, not in the church, but in the world today. Some people teach that we are all gods, little g, little g. We're all gods. We're all gods. And you're a god and I'm a god. And you know what? That's false teaching. That's not true. You're not a god. Joel, trust me, you're not a god. Bianca, you are not a god. If you think that you are something and you are really a divine being, Wow. (laughs) Wrong. Some people say we're all gods, equally divine. Other people say there's like a little slice of God in each one of us, like a little spark of deity. Like it's in you and it's in me, and if you could just discover that spark, then you could like live the divine life. That's not what I'm talking about either. All right? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible's saying. You're not divine. You're not even a little slice of God. But the fullness of God, the Spirit, the moment you are saved comes into you, and he never leaves you. I just thought, uh, I was out to dinner with my kids on Friday. Lauren was at the women's ministry event, and I thought, I wonder what my kids know about the Holy Spirit. So I just gave them a little quiz. They're eating hot dogs. And I was like, hey girls, when does the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you? And Cassie looks at me and says, probably on a Sunday. (laughs) She a pastor's kid or what? (laughs) Maybe you didn't even know this. Maybe you haven't even been taught this. But the moment of your conversion, when you were saved, God the Spirit came inside of you. And because he's in you, he enables you to live the life that honors God. That's called the indwelling. I can obey the truth of God because the Spirit is always inside me, making it possible. You know this. You know it when there's a sin that had you beat for decades. And somehow something changes when you come to Christ and you overcome it. There's power that you didn't have before. Guess who that is? It's the Spirit. You know it when there are things about the Bible that, I mean, when before Christ, you didn't even get this book, but, but now you understand what you're reading. Guess what that is? It's God the Spirit. He equips you to be the husband, the father, the brother or sister, the, the employee, the boss, whatever that God wants you to be. You couldn't do it before. You can do it now because God the Spirit dwells inside of you. And that's an amazing truth. It's the indwelling. Well, not only salvation does, are we saved by faith in Christ. Not only through revelation can we know who God is and what he's done. Not only through the indwelling can we know God's presence. But jot this down. The doctrine of inspiration is that I can know God's truth. Inspiration. I can know God's truth. Uh, And we'll read here a description of inspiration. Uh, The Holy Spirit authors the word of God. And we kind of get a glimpse of how it happens here in verse 13. In verse 13, it says this. It says, 
uh, leading into it, we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Okay, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Here's what the Bible says about the Bible. Not taught by humans. Taught by the Spirit. Our Bible is what's called inspired. Now, I'm not saying inspired like the way that we use it kind of today, like the Chicago song. You're the inspiration. Oh, it just makes you like, oh, you're like the inspiration. No, that's, I'm never going to sing again, so don't worry about it. That's it. It's a one-time show. When I say inspiration, I mean, I mean God breathed. I mean it, it came from God's mouth. It was inspired by God. And that's what the Bible teaches about itself. Our book is not merely from the lips of men. It is from the lips of God through authorized teachers like the apostles. Listen to 2 Peter 1.21. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, No prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. Get this, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? God's truth was from men, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine of inspiration. So you're not reading the thoughts of men. You're reading the thoughts of God. Do you understand that? That God used human authors to write down his divine words. Uh, So people have very wrong misconceptions about the Bible. Here's a few of them. You might want to jot these down. Some people think God's word is somewhere in there. God's word is somewhere in there. Like, I've got a big Bible, and okay, some of it is God's words. Like, they're kind of mixed in. Some of the things that God said or some of the events. But you know what? Most of it is just people writing stuff down. God's word is in there somewhere. But that's false. The Bible teaches that every word comes out from the mouth of God. The whole thing. Um, some other people in misconception is this. God's word was revealed, but it was changed, edited, and corrupted along the way. Okay, so maybe God got it out there at the beginning, but I mean throughout the ages, so many centuries of... And people got around that book and they changed it and they edited it and they took some stuff out. Okay, so maybe it was God's word, but now it's all changed up, so who knows what it originally said. All right, listen, if you study the history of how the Bible was preserved, the transmission of Scripture, the scribes, those who copied it, how faithful they were to keeping the copies true to the original, it's miraculous. There's no other book in ancient history that is preserved as well as the Bible. There's none. I I mean, no other book even comes close. So we have copies now. Okay, we don't have the originals. We have copies. But the copies have been so well preserved that you can know that it, it's just divine. It's like, wow, it's, it's like supernatural how well this book was preserved. So don't listen to the person who says, well, yeah, it's all been changed. It's, who knows what happened to it? No. Nope. And the, the last misconception is God's word is simply an exaggerated account of real history. Like, okay, Jesus lived. Okay, he was a good guy who did a lot of good things. But once he died... You know, his followers like gathered around and they uh, spiced things up a bit. They're like, okay, let's, let's say that he walked on the water. He didn't swim out to the boat. Huh? How about that? Let's, let's add that in there. And let's say he didn't just, you know, feed us, but he fed 5,000 people. Let's add that in there. Yeah. All right. 
that's not a good objection. Why? Well, because first of all, the, the disciples of Christ often looked like doofuses, right? So if they're making things up, they made up a lot of dumb things about themselves. And they died for it. All of the disciples except one died for a lie, for something that they all made up. At one point, one of them's going to cave and be like, all right, it's all fake. He was just a man and they threw him in a tomb and that's it. I give up. But they all died for it. Would you die for a lie? Would you? You say, well, people die for false things all the time. Yeah, but they really believe it. They really are deceived into thinking that the aliens are coming back. They believe it. If the apostles didn't believe it, if they were making stuff up, they wouldn't have died for it. Nobody dies for a lie. So inspiration. I can know God's truth because the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to me. In dwelling, I can know God's presence. Revelation, I can know who God is and what He's done. Salvation, I can be saved by faith in Christ. Here's the last one. Illumination. Illumination. The Spirit shows where the truth of God applies to your life. So I can apply God's Word to my life. Write that down. Illumination is going to be described here, but what it means is this. Um, It means that when you read the Scripture, if you're a believer, the Spirit helps you to know clearly and compellingly what God wants you to do or think. Okay? It doesn't mean that he gives everybody their own little personal interpretation of the Scripture. There's, There's the right interpretation of the Scripture, but there are thousands of applications. Okay? And and as you read it, the Spirit is going to do something called illuminate the text, and it's going to mean something to you. It's going to challenge you to do something. It's going to convict you of a sin. It's going to give you guidance unto a decision you need to make. So many people here Sunday mornings come up to me after the service, and they're like, I feel like, I feel like you were speaking like just to me. Um, I, I feel like you knew my whole week, and you were something. Now, am I that smart? I went to public school. I'm not that smart. Okay? But God's that smart that he can somehow get onto my note sheet something that you need to hear, something that you need to do this week, and that's illumination. That's the Spirit shepherding you to know God's will for your life on a daily basis. Okay? Verse 14, it kind of describes this. It says, The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Hey, when you get really frustrated with people in your life who aren't believers, they don't get it. They just don't get it. They keep making the, the wrong decisions. They don't, they don't get it. They can't get it. Don't try and impose your Christian views or values or on non-believers. They can't get it. What are you so frustrated about? Of course they can. Could you get it before you were saved? No. You can't impose the Christian way of life on non-Christians, not on your non-Christian children, not on your non-Christian husband. You can't do it. Just stop trying. All you can do is you can display what God wants you to do and hope that the Lord opens their eyes to it because they can't get it. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, the spiritual person doesn't mean like those of you who got the citation award in Awana. All right. Great. We're all proud of you. But we're not talking about like the super spiritual person. The spiritual person here is the believer. The natural person here is the unbeliever, all right? So raise your hand if you're the spiritual person, a believer in Jesus Christ. Congratulations. Call your, I'm the spiritual person. We're all the spiritual person in this text. It says the spiritual person judges all things. 
but is himself to be judged by no one. Likely what that means is within the church, within the church, teachers aren't supposed to be looking down on those they teach. Those who are being taught aren't to be looking up at those who are teaching them. Okay, you discern all things. Nobody judges you. Nobody evaluates you as greater or less than anybody else. It levels the playing field. You're the spiritual person. And certainly you are not going to look to the natural people for your wisdom. You following this? Because there in Corinth, they're all about, oh, look at those wandering philosophers over there. Look, let's get some of that in here. Ooh. And it's like, what? You've got a God living in you. What are you going to them for for truth? That makes no sense. No sense at all. What do you need their opinion for? What do you need to read their book for? What do you need to get after? The The spiritual person judges all things, gets God's stuff, understands the truth, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There's some common misconceptions about understanding your Bible, but here's the thing. When, When the Holy Spirit teaches you how to apply God's Word into your life, it's the application of the truth that leads you on to maturity. Okay, it's not the knowledge of the truth. We all know people who have a whole lot of Bible knowledge in their head, but they just are not growing in Christ. And maybe you feel like you're stuck in place. Even if you've been going to church for a long time, maybe you feel like, man, I'm just in park here. I'm just not getting anywhere. Maybe you feel like this guy. This is a a real billboard with a real person. He's making some sort of an artistic statement. I don't get artists. Maybe you get it. If you get it, great. But he's, uh, people are walking by and he's just up there like, hey, how's it going? But maybe that's how you feel spiritually. Just stuck. Not going anywhere. Been attending a lot of church services. Been hearing a lot of sermons. Well, the Spirit wants you to apply what you've heard. Um, and... And so it's not just about accumulating the knowledge. In fact, there's a few common misconceptions about understanding your Bible. The first one is, you can jot these down, fact knowledge of the Bible is the same as personal knowledge of God. No, that's not true. It's more than a fact knowledge. It's a personal following of what you hear. Um, Another misconception is, I can know the truth without teachers or leaders. You know, the Spirit lives in me, and I don't need to go to church. You know, I... You know, I'm a believer just like you. What do I need to hear from a pastor? What do I need to hear from a leader for? That's not true. In fact, the Spirit will often speak through teachers or leaders or pastors or whatever to you. Uh, So this doesn't give you permission to be a lone ranger here. Um, The next misconception is my interpretation is just as good as yours. This is the fool and the arrogant person who doesn't really know all that much about the Bible, but they sit there and look at it and they're like, well, well, my, my thoughts on it is the same as your thoughts. Here's what I think it means to me. And you're like, no, 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 that doesn't... So it's not like you get this license to believe whatever you want about the Bible uh, because the Spirit is in you. The Spirit leads you to the proper interpretation of the text. Okay? Um, So illumination is applying God's Word to your life. And verse 16 puts all of humanity in its rightful place. It says, who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct Him? Who, pastor, who congregation who could ever understand the mind of the Lord as to teach him something. He's teaching us everything. It humbles me. It humbles you. And yet then it says, to close it out, we have the mind of Christ. We can know God. 
You can know God. You can know about him. You can know his plan. You can know him personally. And you can know him forever, eternally. But, but, you have to accept the truth about his son, Jesus Christ. It all starts there. I'd like to close out by just giving you a chance. If you have been resisting God's Holy Spirit for a long time, and if he's been trying to show you that you're not right with God, if he's been convicting you of sins in your life, if you felt like you've been wondering where God has been for a long time, hey, maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is leading you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning the Spirit wants you to know God's presence. He wants to dwell in your life. But the question is, will you believe the gospel? Will you repent? Will you allow the Lord to come into your life? I want to give you that chance right now. Why don't we all close our eyes and bow our heads and just get before the Lord. The whole week has come to a stop right now. Your whole life has come to a stop right now. And I know there are people in this room you don't know. You don't know God. You don't know His Word. Even if you've learned His Word as a child, you certainly are not following Him on a weekly basis. Father, those people right now, I pray for them. I know that Your Spirit is at work. Your Spirit is working to drive them to the cross of Christ. And some are ready this morning. Father, those who are wanting you to be very real in their life, those who they know they're lost, and they know that you're coming after them right now, they want to be rescued, they want to be saved. Lord, they might want to pray something like this in their own heart. Father, I confess that I have sinned. I'm not worthy of knowing you. But I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. I believe you raised him up. And here, this morning, I come and ask for the free gift of eternal life. Come into my life. Convince me I'm going to heaven. And help me to please you with all of my choices. Father, those who prayed that this morning... Pray that your spirit would fill them with hope, with joy, with gratitude. Lord, I pray that you would begin to lead them now like never before, speaking truth to them, showing them what you expect, and giving them victory over sin. How much you love us, Lord. How much you love sinful men and women that you would come to live within us, that you would save us from the destiny that we deserve. Lord, your love is amazing. We worship you for it. And we give you all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.